0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series.
1: Good evening and Happy New Year. This is the first um, Sunday evening practice group. My name is Kyoko Katayama. And when Mark goes away, I'm um, some of, well, many. I'm um, some of the many people, one of the many people, who um, sub for him. And actually, he usually asks me to do Sunday morning um, practice group when kids come in at the end and they sing and the grown-ups follow, and it's really sweet. But um, this time, Mark asked me to do it Sunday night tonight, <clears throat> and um, I heard a rumor that somebody said, "Oh, that Sunday night group—they're serious practitioners." <laughs> and, and then I I felt, you know, really delighted to be able to do that, but also kind of anxious. So I was telling a friend of mine. About it, about feeling a little intimidated, and she said, "Well, it's perfect because if they're serious practitioners, they're all going to be just sending you meta." Yeah.
2: And I thought, "Oh,
1: yeah," and I just relaxed. So, if you um, do nothing but sending me as All beings everywhere, meta tonight, and didn't hear a word from me, that would be wonderful too. Um, And it's really perfect because um, I want to talk about love tonight. But you know, friends, love, like life, like death, is ultimately a mystery. Its breadth and depth is incomprehensible to the thinking mind. And so as I reflected actually for months on love, I found it really difficult to give a precise language. We can only understand its magnitude and indispensability by knowing its facets and sometimes by inferences from stories and poems. You know the word facet come from face, and love has 10,000 faces. But I have been pondering if there's one unifying quality, and I've been wondering, I wonder if that, Unifying quality is something that make us alive, not just figuratively, but also literally, and bring us home to our true refuge, to our nature. So my talk tonight is a, a humble attempt at the impossible, having bitten off something so much bigger than I can chew but I feel passionate about this topic and so I'm going to give it a try. <clears throat> and here's a poem, one facet, one face of love that is a flower and a pig <laughs> and everything between. And I'd like you to notice the quality of your heart right now. Think of one word to describe it, if you can. And as you listen to the poem, pay attention to the quality of your heart. So this is called Saint Francis and the Sal, and some of you may know it. It's very famous poem. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely. Until it flowers again from within, retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing as Saint Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch blessings of earth on the sow (coughs) and the sow began remembering all down her thick length from the earthen snout all the way through the fodder and the slops to the spiritual curl of the tail. From the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milk and dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 teeth into the 14 mouths sucking and blowing beneath them. The long, perfect loveliness of soul. And now what do you notice about the quality of your heart as you heard the poem? Can you think of one word that may describe it? We think sometimes that love is something we feel towards another person or another thing, something that is originated from within us towards someone. But even if the poem talks of self-blessing, I don't think the poet Galway Kinnell was talking about self as in self-centeredness. So let's explore some more questions. My mother died about five years ago after I cared for her for about ten years. And after her body was cremated, I opened the urn of her ashes. It was actually ground bones in the color and texture of coarse sand. Was this all left of her? my heart achingly asked, where was her love for me now? Where could my love for her go? Who here has lost someone close to you? Lots. And how many people Here, have the experience of stronger and deeper love around the time of that person's death or after. Yeah. If love is a feeling you have towards another person as the object of that feeling, how can the love seem stronger and deeper when the object is gone? if love deepens and widens when the object of your feeling is gone, it must be that love is beyond that subject-object duality, beyond that you and I as separate selves. When my husband became sicker and sicker before he died, a year and a half ago. My love for him grew stronger and deeper even as he was no longer able to meet my personal needs as my companion. Every day in small increments he lost his abilities as a man until all he could do was look at me between his labored sleeps. Yet, the loving glance from his eyes gave me so much and sustained me. When I reflected on that, months later after he died, It was clear that what began as the love of a man and woman decades ago became something entirely beyond. As the cancer invaded his organs, love was there powerfully as a salve and a refuge that allowed us to stay present to the heartbreaking reality of the inevitable end. Love was the mysterious continuity in the face of impermanence, and it was the impermanence with capital I. When he exhaled for the last time, instead of love disappearing like the smoke of incense, it exploded exponentially. If my grief was a meandering weft, that's the horizontal thread often of many colors on the loom. Love was the warp that held the meandering threads. Warp is the long um, thread that holds the horizontal thread. I felt his love more deeply all around, where I could not tell any longer his love or mine. It was so much bigger than me, bigger than me, how could that be? We think we hold love in our heart, when in truth we are held by it kept alive by it, and die into it. Friends, love does not belong to us. We belong to it. I was at the uh, end of the year retreat here at the common ground, that was my thirteenth annual retreat. <laughs> And at the close of the retreat, and it was just a week ago, in a large group sharing when we could finally break the silence, one person uttered to the whole circle of people, and she said, just like this, she said, I don't even know you, but I just love you. (laughs) She said it just like that. And then many people nodded. In resonance with soft smiles and joy was in the air in this room. How could that be to love without without knowing the person? How many here have been to a longer retreat? So if you have been on the retreat, have you noticed how love and kindness seem to pervade the very air. Even when we don't talk, we don't look at each other, we don't make eye contact. And we sense we aren't just trying to be good Buddhists. And love here at the center in this room was palpable. We could almost touch it. Thomas Merton tells how, quote, In Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separation. So when I cried out, where did your love go, Mother? And at first I felt a deafening silence, piercing emptiness. And I sat in the middle of it among what at first felt like rubble of something broken. The sharp edges of the brokenness eventually gave way to something tender and alive. And in time, the space became filled with a deep sense of love all around me and through me. Love didn't go anywhere. It was like the air I breathed. My teacher, Matt Sixteen, once told me that love is the currency on a human journey. And currency, well like money in some ways, is an energy we exchange. And that word currency shares the same uh, root word as current. Current is something that flows. Current is something that enlivens the now. What we experience as loving feeling is just a tiny reflection of the unending sky, something that big. Gilles Franzdahl, the guiding teacher at the Insight Meditation Center of the Redwood City, said, just as blood nourishes the heart, which keeps it flowing, soul love nourishes spiritual freedom and is in turn kept flowing by. So if love is like the air we breathe, or something that flows around and through us, shall we just let it be? Do we need to do anything? What made the Dalai Lama says so boldly, kindness is my religion. And once Ananda asked the Buddha, well, spiritual fellowship must be at least half of the spiritual life. And the Buddha said, oh no Ananda, it is all of life. Spiritual fellowship is all of spiritual life. It is not directly quoted in the suttas but clearly it is understood that boundless love, love without a particular object, is a form of liberation. So love does not originate from us, nor issued from the sense of self. And by now I hope it's obvious that I'm not talking about romantic love or obsessive love. That is all about self, a form of love that does not set us free. The Dharma teaches us that there is no self. That is, there is nothing permanent and substantial about self. The self is a conglomerate construction of the mind. So the self is completely the subject of and subject to the causes and conditions. If love is issued from the individual self, the Dalai Lama couldn't say what he said. What? gave the Dalai Lama such faith in loving-kindness to to proclaim it as His religion. Nisargadatta, who is the uh, Indian spiritual teacher of Advaita, said, Love is knowing I am everything. Wisdom is knowing I am nothing. And between the two, my life flows. Love is knowing I am everything. Wisdom is knowing I am nothing. And between the two, my life flows. If love is a mystery, and if it's like the air we breathe, yet it is so important, to be a religion, and if love does not belong to us, nor originates from a, from our individual self, what are we supposed to do? First and foremost, we can relax and breathe. Breathe deeply, trusting love is already here and now. As Thich Thich Nhat Hanh might say, please help yourself. It is available. I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said about peace. Like our two beautiful lungs taking in the air, we can open to it, to receive, to allow it to flow flow in, nourish, and renew us, and flowing out, nourishing others. What we are to do, we are to open to it. It is a radical opening of our whole being into the present moment. It is not up to us, just like it's not up to us for our lungs to breathe in and out. Receiving love is not up to us, though we can create mighty obstacles to it. And this is where the practice comes in. This level of opening can be trained by bringing intention and attention to the moment intention and attention to the moment. Now it begins to sound like a meditation practice, doesn't it? Our untrained mind is naturally in a contracted state. If we identify with the mind as who we are, it's very difficult to open to love. The mind thinks it can figure out everything, but the thinking mind has no wisdom by itself. So if your body is tight, you might be identified with the mind's stories. Remember, remember who you are is not the mind, it's beyond the mind. Your true nature is imbued with love, but but we don't need to throw out the busy mind. We don't need to throw out the unskillful unskillful thoughts or the contracted body or the confusion about all these things that we've been talking about. Who we are is so big and boundless. There's room for all. And it can witness the contraction of the mind and body without throwing anything out of our heart. But there is a caveat to this radical opening. When we open, anything can come in. Anything, then can touch us deeply, good or bad. And we can feel thrown off, hurt, or confused, or ecstatic. While on the retreat last week, one person went to a shopping mall on Lake Street to get something for his car during a retreat. He was feeling peaceful. His heart sweetly opened from the hours of the FOMO sitting practice. And as he arrived at the mall, there he unexpectedly was exposed to a mother beating on a child strapped in a car seat. He was shocked. He felt shaken up and his mind raced trying to figure out what to do. And he noticed his own violent thought towards the abusive mother. The car took off and he was left with the trepidations of having just witnessed something so terrible. And he drove back to common ground, absorbed in what had just happened. Where did the peace and the sweetness of his open heart go, he asked himself. So during the small group, in tears, he was compelled to tell the group what he just witnessed and his reactions to it. He didn't say it, but it was obvious he was feeling many feelings, anger at the mother, sorrow for the child, and his helplessness to stop the abuse from happening. And when he told the story in the small group, there was a gasp. In the group itself, as if each listener felt the pain of the child, the mother, and the anguish of the person telling that story. We wish we could alleviate the suffering. So this is one facet of love. When love meets suffering, it becomes karuna, compassion. And the wish to stop the suffering naturally arises in our heart when it's open. When my husband died, my sorrow was so profound, I feared that I could not contain it. I was afraid it was like ocean swallowing me up and I would be drowned in it. I couldn't think straight, I couldn't remember things, I couldn't make plans, I was not very functional, I had doubts that I could I could ever be normal again. And some days the only way to get through life was by becoming numb. And so I was in a state of constant vulnerability. And I felt tempted to conclude that something was wrong with me. But I knew it wasn't about me, about myself. It was. All the causes and conditions passing through me and I needed to stay open and aware of the experiences no matter how painful. Through practice I learned to hold my vulnerability as an evidence of my aliveness and as the other side of such profound opening to love. You know the derivative of the word vulnerability is the Latin word for wound. Have you ever planted an avocado pit? The pit is like a tight fist wrapped in a skin. And in order for it to grow, the skin has to rip. And the pit begins to split. And in that very split is where a tiny bud will emerge to become a tree someday. In that small group discussion, when the man told the story about a child being beaten, someone quoted, and obviously the teller of the story, his heart was broken. Someone quoted a Jewish saying about God entering in from the crack of the heart, but the man who told the story heard it as um, a dharma penetrating through the opening of his heart. It was Rumi who said, "The wound is the place where the light enters you. Wound." is the place where the light enters you. How can the the heart grow to hold more love without breaking? Not just once, but over and over. But when the heart breaks, we are vulnerable. We feel like a wound itself sometimes. And we see that the world is not perfect, and we are not perfect, no matter how hard we try. And the suffering is inevitable out in the world. A child gets beaten. A man loses his sense and randomly kills others. Flood wipes away a lonely home. Our beloved dies, our trust gets betrayed, we lose a job and we worry about livelihood while doubts and insecurities fill the mind. We are vulnerable beings living in a world where heartbreaking things happen as well as marvelous. Our vulnerability is there because we are alive. Then, with courage, we have to let go of our striving for perfection, both of ourselves and of the world, and learn to hold self in the world with love just the way it is. This is the quote. The thing that is really hard and really amazing is giving up on being perfect and beginning the work of becoming yourself. Anna Quinling said that. But holding just the way it is is not giving up or being complacent. When we can see things really as they are without judgment not through the lens of hope and wish, but with wisdom. It leads us to discernment of what we can each do within our ability. So, back to the man who uh, witnessed the child being beaten. (coughs) While still on retreat, he eventually mastered a readiness for sending a loving kindness wish for not only the child but for the abusive mother acknowledging she too wants to be happy so he didn't just turn away from the difficult situation or he didn't stop at feeling just angry at the mother he tended to his own broken heart mindfully And somewhere in the process, he could connect his humanity to that of the mother, even. Each one of us carries in us the abuser, the abused, and the witness. So it is good to learn to say, I am that too, I am that too. With the support of the strong and steady witness in us, the abused in, and the abuser in us can begin to heal. Stephen Levine said, healing is our birthright. Intention." and attention imbued with love is healing and this is another facet of love. And there are 9999 more facets to love to be discovered by you and me. So I invite you to explore and learn from it. And the first step is always, create an open, spacious heart. Look for faces and hear its music. So in closing, let me share a poem by Mary Oliver. And this is a a subtle and quiet poem, poem at the dawn of the day. And I think you all know what a mink is, but just in case, she talks about mink. Mink is a pretty vicious, small, carnivorous animal. So, the name of the poem is called, It Was Early. It was early, which has always been my hour to begin looking at the world and of course even in the darkness to begin listening into it especially under the pines where the owl lives and sometimes calls out as I walk by as he did on this morning. So many gifts, what do they mean? In the marshes where the pink light was just arriving, the mink with his bristle tail was stalking the soft-eared mice. And in the pines the cones were heavy, each one ordained to open. Sometimes I need only to stand wherever I am to be blessed. Little Mink, let me watch you. Little Mice, run and run. Dear Pinecone, let me hold you as you open. Little Mink, Let me watch you, little mice, run and run. Dear pinecone, let me hold you as you open. So we have lots of time for discussion. And I hope it's more discussion than Q&A. Any comments, feedback? Thank you. Tissue, tissue. <laughs> yes, Tom? I was
0: taken by your story of the man who was on retreat and down to Lake Street and observed the years, but I don't know what a person could do or should do in those situations, but I could help them think of TikTok Hobbs' dialogue on precepts and my precepts. And talks about the first one we don't harm anybody. And we're quite particularly he is there and will not allow harm to be done to children. And this is kind of made me think about it and wonder because I don't know what this man could have or should have done it in certain processes in such a good way. I don't know how to respect the asking or say you, but it just
1: well, we wish we could not allow that to happen. but it happens. We can't always stop. And if there's a hundred people here, I think there may be a hundred responses. Because each one of us is a little different, and what what we can do would be different. You know, some people might contribute to organizations um, to um, stop child abuse. Some people make plans for next time it happens. I'm going to talk to the person, or some people just begin earnest practice of metta, so then metta can just come out as sweet witness. So, uh, you know, I'd love to know what Thich Nhat Hanh would do, but Thich Nhat Hanh may say he wouldn't know until it happens, I don't know. I I, I think it's a wonderful thing for each of us to ponder, And, and, and we can just anticipate and we don't live in a perfect world, and and it happens, we can't stop, and our heart breaks, and how do we stay present to our heartbreak, so love can enter. And one, one action that this man took was to send Metta also to that mother. I'm gonna to get to you in just a second. Um, I, by the way, I, I got the permission of the man to tell his story, so i'm I'm good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't get the permission from the others, but um, what was interesting was in a small group, um, so because we met every day, we kind of processed. We, the story kind of evolved. And um, on the second day, he was the storyteller was sharing kind of his process a little bit more. And one person said, you know, I was abused as a child, and um, terribly. But as an adult, <coughs> uh, recently um, I had a meeting with my father and mother who beat me. and." It was a beautiful meeting where we all began to heal. And in the same me- meeting, um, another person said, you know, I I abused. I was abuser. And um, the story uh, made me think, you know, I didn't want to think about it, but it just brought to my mind, so I worked with it. And." She was able to heal that part of her that was abusive, and so at the end of that meeting, um you know this is where that my talk came from was you know I really felt like uh, we, we are the abuse, we are the abuser, and we are really w- witnessing and I had this vision of this child who was beaten, and the mother. Who beat five ten years from now uh, would sit in a circle like that and healing. And you know, I wasn't consciously thinking that this is what I could do, but that when that vision came, it was a healing wish for all. So that was one small response on my part. Okay, Michelle. So. Yeah. Can you hear over there? Good. And yeah. yeah. the story percolated into
2: the other small group that I'm sharing in a large group of people who were talking. And so it, it also was able to break my heart and I could see that it broke the heart of somebody else. And I took that with me, a little trepidation, when I left the retreat, and I went down to the, the sort of co-opted to get some groceries. But I would have my lunch there and try to eat as life doing there there as I did here. And next to me at the table, at the next table over was a family, uh, a son about 13, a daughter about six, uh, and the, the parents. And the son had just come from a, a sleepover. He looked tired. But he was, and the, and the daughter wasn't disabled anyway, but he was feeding his sister. And he was eating raspberries himself. She Would just so gently put it into her mouth. And just seeing this, you know, 13 year oldish boy being so gentle with his sister, but heartbroken again. And I could see how that openness could come from both terrible and beautiful, how they both glow. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: There's um, something that really stuck with me um, when you were talking about um, who is the one doing the loving when love is pouring out, and then saying that it's not us doing the loving, but we are being loved. And it reminds me, I've heard a lot of music as well, and it's something i like, kind of try to work through my life thinking about. But he says that people would feel a lot less conflict in understanding how to love that they understood that any individual action that we take could not happen unless the totality of the universe will it to happen. Mm-hmm. So in essence, as we're healing the love, as we're being as we're love, conditions have arisen mm-hmm. in our life that have allowed that love to manifest in us, mm-hmm. in out of us. Mm-hmm. I think about it in a way of um, flower blossoms mm-hmm. on trees in the spring. You know, it's not the tree that's making the blossoms the bud or grow. But it's rather the totality of the environment allowing
2: yeah. for that tree to show its beauty to its bud.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you, yeah. Yes? Just to Speak loud so everyone can hear.
2: The first column you read really touched me, the idea that the bud itself doesn't even have to open, that it has this ability to sort of open within itself. And no, a freedom, no no one to get it from me. And that would a very beautiful image for me. Mm-hmm. Yes? On the same thing, that, that was a piece that jumped out for me. And what I, what I heard it as, is I don't have love, but love has me. Mm-hmm. And what that gave me was a sense that, that rather than oxygen in this room. The room is filled with love, and the world is filled with love. So now I get to have the energy set. I walk in a fog of love for mm-hmm. an environment. Um, and that's given me a real different perspective, in part because it means I don't have to figure out how to get it out of my heart, because a really tight wall around it, yeah. but to recognize that I am held at all times. Yeah. So thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for the talk. That's beautiful. Um, I can really relate to that because it's something I feel when I practice Meta also that it's not coming out of me but
2: coming through me mm-hmm. instead. But I can't um, really
0: you know, feel it or experience it fully unless I give it away as fast as I can. You know, yeah. as fast as it comes from me. Yeah. I have to, Yeah.
1: Um, And I don't know where it comes from, but, you know. Yeah. We don't need to know. Thank you. Any other comments? Yeah. Okay.
2: I was thinking about how I was the down there in these streets, but um, I've gone on several streets. And my experience always is that I just, even you know, I haven't looked at anybody, at think closed the circle and it's just like a love list. Mm-hmm. And also, how in, in certain ways it, it can be easier to love people you haven't talked to. <laughs> Mm-hmm.
1: So much for your Thank you. Judy?
2: I was going to simply say, I, I really appreciate the fact that you tackled this subject Because it was just yesterday, well, Saturday, I was talking to someone from comes around. I think, well, I mean, you know, it's just like that topic that is so big that most people see. I have to speak about it, you know, but it was really welcoming you
1: mm, know, Thank you. Yeah?
2: I have a question. Um, so I don't know if it's a, um, a, a personal defect or a defect of my practice, but I, I, I can't ask you about the content. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, like the way that sort of been mm-hmm. taught to me, um,
1: What do you mean you can't do, like, you can't say the words, or it doesn't work, or...? No, I can say the words, but, um, okay, okay. I just feel, I'm struggling,
2: I feel like I can be as truthful as you were, because you were really, really, really honest in your speech, and I feel like that was a part of love, it was really, Mm -hmm. really difficult. Uh I'll just be honest, like, I, um... I don't like what she said about like male no people. It's um, not often harder to love everybody, mm-hmm. and there's something that just feels a bit disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know myself. I knew like probably my greatest gift or asset is that I'm honest, but it's also my greatest problem in life. And so I can't. I just it's sort of like it feels fake. Like, Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, I just, it's like, I'm like, mm-hmm. I cannot, and and for me, practice about really, like, why do what I get from it is just, like, being, like, real, like, honest, real, mm-hmm. messy, sitting with it, mm-hmm. you know? And so, I just, it's like, when I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh. all <laughs> I mean, it's bad. I, I think it's my <laughs> own deficit as a practice. I just kind of want to laugh, like, I'm like, because I know I
1: just don't... So... Don't jump to conclusion like it's bad or good or deficit or whatever. You know, stay open. Um, so right now you feel like, oh, it's not working. It's not. It's, it's not working in the sense that it kind of is, is against something you probably love about you, which is your honesty. You know how precious is that? That you know you, you're honest. So you love that about you, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, if you didn't love it, you wouldn't be doing it right now. So there's enough confidence <coughs> that, that you have a sense that that this is precious for you. Well, I think
2: like that maybe it's something about the You know how like it you know, there's the dharma,
1: right, and then there's a cultural way that dharma is transmitted. So yeah, so Yeah, I feel sort of like yeah. maybe metta practice isn't the right form of loving kindness practice for you. For me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Just saying that. I, I had trouble with my too. I mean, you know, I kind of struggled in a similar kind of way. Um, I, so, um, but don't give up. Um if it feels like fake don't do something that feels like yeah, fake. Yeah. And just keep on exploring ways that you you, you open your heart. Yeah. Keep on noticing, you know, when this kind of opening or kindness or this feeling that arises and like pay attention to to that. See if you can give language to that. And then you can have meta, you know. You can you can have practice that works for you without feeling like fake. Who wants to be fake? You know, authenticity is, is another facet of love. So, so yeah, it's not a problem. Yeah. Is, is that hand? Okay. Yeah.
2: Long periods in my life where truth, as I knew it, was negative and dark, and um, to reach beyond the wall of my own heart was going to be too much of a break. I I just felt like it's a fraction Many decades ago, when I was basically playing my own death, because I was so depressed, something in me would not let me go for a generation. And I began, I had never heard of Meta, I had never about it. And I began to say, I love you to myself, which um, did not feel real. It felt like a lie. But, you Alternative was suicide, and I I just was so there, and I did that for many many days. I walked.
1: if we can really love ourselves, take good care of ourselves because in the big picture of things taking good care of ourselves and loving ourselves is also at the same time loving the world and we don't have to worry about being selfish you know because the boundaries is it's, um, <coughs> for us so, You know, that was a beautiful practice you did, and it worked, because it was so heartfelt, and you didn't need to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Just to comment on, um,
3: talking about honesty, and and, um, when I think about love, it doesn't necessarily always mean saying nice things to someone, being a father and, and having to discipline my son, and, and I certainly don't know if I identify with the abuser, but I do identify with the need to to be strict or to say things to people sometimes that are brutally honest. Because in a sense, I'm trying, I'm loving them and trying to help them not by enabling them, or not by being a doormat, but being strong and, and um, by trying to show them my perspective. Um, I also, when it comes to loving kindness and thinking about trying to love everyone, I have to oftentimes
2: remind myself that differences are very much a product
3: of cultural upbringing and differences in experiences that just because someone does something wrong or something that I feel is terrible or or sees something in a very very different way than I do does not does not make them any less human or worthy of love but it is a calling for me to, to try and mend the differences
2: and try and come to an understanding of what their
1: perspective is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. We have to um, wrap up. Um, so let's do a simple method. And what is in it? Channel. Find, feeling or language or whatever that works for you. Okay. Um, and you don't have to do this with me, but I think this is a nice way to um, end this evening. May all beings find happiness may all beings be safe from harm may all beings be a good friend to their body may all beings live their life with ease and joy may our practice towards awakening benefit ourselves and all beings everywhere. May all beings be free from suffering.